0: Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast.
1: This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching.
0: Yeah, and it's all lies because we did not take a walk. We did not, but we did talk. We didn't even have coffee. <laughs> I well, I <laughs> I see one coffee cup in this office, and it does not belong to me, but that's okay. Um, so we <laughs> we we've been talking. For a while and just as like we do as we and just like well let's just let's just start recording and see what happens because um it's just it's just real real day well here. and
1: part of the point of doing this podcast was you know you and I have been meeting on Tuesdays um for a lot of years and one of us said hey it would be interesting to let others hear the kind of conversations that two Pastors have in their Mm -hmm. real Mm -hmm. friendship together. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think, you know, this friendship and this practice of meeting once a week is a real spiritual discipline for me and just all of the fruitfulness and intentionality that that implies because it's a way of sort of returning to um, core values and foundational beliefs, which it's easy to get away from in the sort of um, urgency and chaos and um, crisis um, flow of ministry, <laughs> You're just sort of responding to whatever floats before you and meeting whatever need is most pressing. Um, and so I think, you know, part of the practice has been we have really Complementary visions for what the Lord is calling us to do in our particular branches of the body of Christ. And, you know, it is not helpful to sit around and complain about things that are hard, Um, but it is helpful and fruitful to have a place where you can be really honest about the challenges and just be reminded of like, this is why, (laughs) like, this is why we're having these experiences. This is why we are orienting ourselves in this way in response. And I mean, kind of like, you're not crazy. This is like, this is what it looks like on the inside. And I think, um, you know, we... Are so, like, I feel very compelled that if the church in 21st century America does not repent of white supremacy and seek healing and reformation, if we don't desire and surrender. Um, to the transformation, the spirit-led transformation that would allow us, not because we deserve it, but because this is actually God's vision. If we don't become healthy and holy, multi-ethnic communities, then we don't have a church. And so we're really committed to that. And I think a lot of times in this podcast, we are trying to really authentically celebrate that everything that is good and life giving about this work. And that's, that is really authentic and really true. Um And also I just think it's really important at times to be honest about like um it's really hard and discouraging in some seasons. And there are times when you're in the middle of this work. And I think ironically, like the deeper you get into it, um, the more authentically you have moments of wondering, like, is this real? And is this possible? Um, and so, you know, that for, for me right now, and i like, I don't, I mean, don't feel sorry for me. I don't feel sorry for me. I'm like ontologically good and, um, God is good. And I am, you know, my cup runs over and none of that has changed. And I don't, I'm, I don't I'm still the happiest pastor I know. I still don't want to be anywhere else. And also, um, like this is just a really, really um, challenging and painful season, and that's okay. Um, And I think um, Andy Stanley has a saying that I think is really helpful, that some situations in your church are not problems to be solved. They're tensions to be managed. And right now... We just have kind of, I would say, like five pots on the stove that have been sort of at a slow simmer. And now they're just all heavy boiling all at once. And um, that's real inconvenient. (laughs) And also...
1: That was a nice way to put it. It's just inconvenient.
0: Well, it's just, yeah, it's overwhelming. And like, it would be helpful if these things could happen one at a time because I could manage them one at a time. And I think that's partly the point is that like, this is not a process that I am managing. Like that's not what being a pastor is, even though you can kind of get that idea in your head, both from seminary and all of the very helpful talk about leadership that is going on in the church right now. But at the end of the day, it I am not neither producing nor managing what God is doing in God's church Um, And there are times when that just feels like a a theoretical statement. Um, And there are times when that is your lived experience and it's really, really uncomfortable um, and kind of pitiful. (laughs) And um, anyway, so that's kind of like, I mean, if what that's astonishing me, like I'm not, and I was telling you earlier that I really, really honestly don't know if, um, what I, if my internal temperature is healthy detachment, because I have learned to trust God and I have, like I've seen, I've seen the goodness of God. I have seen God provide for me and for this community in really astonishing and un, um, unreasonable ways. Um, so, So there's a level of calm in me that might be healthy detachment and surrender and my lived experience that it's easier to trust God. And also, quite frankly, it might be burnout. And I just don't know. And, um, you know, we'll see. (laughs) um, But I just think it's important. like, I don't want to discourage anyone from doing this work because I still wouldn't trade it for anything. And also, there are a lot of days when it feels like a failure and and when it feels like an illusion and um when it feels really pathetic and I think that it's important for people to know that so that if you are are being led in this way or considering this work or find yourself in a community that is trying to become something it isn't Um, if you feel just like a a loser. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're doing it wrong, but if you are, I am too, right? Like this is just part of it. And I know you and I, I mean, we have these conversations a lot. Usually we're not discouraged at the same time, which is helpful. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so that is just sort of what I'm Um, navigating right now.
1: Yeah, while you were talking, um, I was reminded that this Sunday is Reformation Sunday. And, um, you know, back in the 16th century, there was this German monk named Martin Luther. And he was a part of a church that had adopted the culture of the empire. And this German monk studied an African bishop and theologian who lived hundreds of years before him by the name of Augustine. And what he learned from this African bishop was that um, all the work that he'd been doing, all this attempt to earn God's favor was wrong, that he had... Mm -hmm. An essential part of Christianity wrong. And when Martin Luther realized that, he sought to proclaim that idea um, that this salvation is by grace. For us, you know, we say amen, yes, of course. But that idea was incredibly disruptive mm-hmm. in a system. Mm-hmm. In a church, in an institution that had been entrapped, captured by the empire, by the culture of empire, uh, authoritarian um, violence, military fear, um, fear, and proclaiming that 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 simple idea caused a great deal of pain and disruption um, well, it, not only in the church, but in Martin Luther's life.
0: Right. It threatened the status quo yes. of the powers and principalities of the
1: day. And for us, the simple idea that we're seeking not only to proclaim but to live into is that God, through Christ, is bringing all people together, mm-hmm. which means that white supremacy is a lie. Mm-hmm. And in as much as our lives, the church, the city we live in, the country we live in is built on white supremacy, the simple idea that Christ is bringing all people together, reconciling them into one family, that simple idea is disruptive. And it mm-hmm. means it is going to bring pain into the lives of those who seek to live into it.
0: Right, and I think like, yes, I think almost, I mean, I'm sure there are people who would argue, but I think most people of faith would say like, yes, white supremacy is bad. I recognize that, like no problem. Most people who are white would say, because um, I, I see it all the time. I mean, not in my community, but I mean, I, I watch people interact on social media and really wrestle with some of these issues. And I see well-meaning white people all the time just be like, and white supremacy is gone and it is over. And why are we still talking about this? And I think so So to be able to say, look, what what we need to recognize is one, <laughs> there is deep division and pain between Races in this country, and that either matters to you or it doesn't, right? And so, for a lot of white people, it doesn't matter to them, and real talk to a lot of black people and people of color, right? Does justice matter? Yes. Do we need systems that don't crush us? Yes. But many people of all races think, I don't need actually. To be in relationship with people of the other race, whether, you know, it's, whether it's because this relationship makes me wrestle with parts of my history that make me uncomfortable, make me work through guilt and shame, and I just don't want to, I don't want to, or, you know, I think it's sort of the big unexamined myth in white culture that integration happened because black people and people of color wanted to be in relationships with white people. Like we, that black people and people of color wanted their children to have the privilege of having white friends and white teachers. And I think white people really need to recognize it was never, ever, ever about that for the majority of black people and people of color. And the fact that we think that is a really um, insidious manifestation of white supremacy, that we think, oh, we're so wonderful. Everyone wanted to be in relationship with us, even though at the time, white culture was literally sicking dogs on black children, right? It was not My, it was not Martin Luther King saying my black children's lives will be incomplete unless they have white friends. It was Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders saying, I do separate and is not equal. It is not, my children should not be shut out of the dignity of humanity. They should not be shut out of public institutions and they should not be going to schools with inferior equipment and opportunities. And so there's much um tr- there there's there's a hidden history i i mean definitely to white people i don't know you about other ethnic groups but there's a hidden history that white people don't realize about how much was lost in the black community when schools were integrated because then all of a sudden instead of having schools that had inferior um uh, supplies and resources but were schools where blackness was Centered and celebrated. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have, you know, Dorothy Count Scogan going to school in and in, in Charlotte and having people spit on her, right? Like that was not, that was not an enlightening and improving relationship with her. And once the cameras were turned off, it's not like all of a sudden everybody joined hands and like skipped down the halls in harmony, right? So I think what what white people need to reckon with is that. A lot of black people and people of color are really fundamentally not interested in being in relationship with people who they experience as their enemies. And that is a really painful truth to sit with as a white person, when in your head, you're like, well, I hate white supremacy, and I'm not racist. And I want, you know, I put a Black Lives Matter sign in my yard, like, I'm delightful. Why doesn't someone want to be in a relationship with me to be like, well, this is the fruit of the trees that our ancestors planted and maintained. And I was reading something lately, and I I don't remember I don't remember who said it. I just want to be clear that I didn't say it. But someone was saying like, look, why don't white people understand that if you can inherit wealth, then you can inherit guilt. And I'm like, you know, that's just a really, really profound thought, particularly when your wealth (laughs) is generated by many of the historical events that cause guilt, right? Like that's just, and I think it's just such a, like a foregone conclusion um, that, you know, nobody's asking white people to feel bad about anything. I mean, like, I don't think that's true. I think that there are a lot of people who would say, and and in fact, you know, before we can talk about, and this is not, I didn't say this either, but I don't want to share who said it in case They don't want it to be said. But, like, before we can talk about reparations, we need to talk about repentance. And part of repentance is actually grieving what happened and grieving what continues to happen. And so, this idea that, like, nobody wants anybody to feel bad about anything, like, I mean, come on. If somebody murdered your child before you could even think about healing, forgiving, you would want them to actually. Express more than excuses, but actual pain about that. And so I just think, like, this is the challenge of a multi ethnic community. Like, on the one hand, theoretically, it just sounds like, oh, of course, everyone would want that. Like, of course. And I think theologically, scripturally, Jesus is a reconciler. And the healing of enmity is a part of the manifestation of the glory of God so it is central but just to recognize that not everybody wants that and as a white person to sit with the reality of like for good reason and and i think a lot of times we walk into these communities like isn't it wonderful that we're here or isn't it wonderful that quote we are willing to to quote share quote, our institution or tradition or whatever. And like, no. And so I think what's hard is as you continue to live this out, you just recognize like there's real deep pain and division. And it can only be healed by Christ. And we're really vulnerable to that. And I think it's important to be in a community where you experience that pain. It doesn't harm you to experience that pain. It actually helps, I think, wake you up. But it's hard. And if you were in a community that wasn't constantly navigating all of that, you would probably feel more connected and more secure um, and more unconditionally loved than you feel in a multi community. And the irony is people are actually generously giving so much more of themselves and risking so much more to give you what they are willing to give you, but you experience it sometimes as, as less than, and it's just all part of the real struggle of being a community. And certainly like when you read, um, you know the letters in the new testament like this work of overcoming divisive identities and enmity and healing like it's very 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 offensive work not just not just to people who currently hold power and privilege but also to people who experience oppression and um, suffering in these systems.
1: Yeah, as black people navigate the society in general and church in particular, especially um, predominantly white churches, I think whether it's conscious or subconscious, maybe a little bit of both, um, I, I think the question is often, it's regularly, is this safe? Is this person safe? Is this environment safe? And to what degree is it safe? Because there, there's a, a kind of safe that says, um, I can trust you not to do certain racist things, but you'll probably, you'll probably say something or what, something will happen that will be offensive or rub me the wrong way. That's one level of safe. Another level of safe is, you know, um, or, or or not being safe, it's, you know, I, I feel like my, my being is, is threatened. And so as black people navigate the church, um, and that's the question, I'm wondering if you could share, um, if there's a... If there's a corresponding question that white people are asking because i i think we i, I think it may surprise white people to mm-hmm. know or think that african americans are asking okay are are you a safe person are you are you safe enough for me to um not only have a conversation with but be vulnerable mm-hmm. with how, how safe are you
0: mm-hmm um. I think for me, and this might be more of a Kate Murphy thing than a white person thing. Um, obviously, not all white people are the same. <laughs> JK. I'm, I'm sorry. I should say why. Because one of the major truths that folks who study um, m- racial dynamics in the world is that in white culture we are taught to really experience ourselves as individuals. Mm-hmm. So we, we really grow up with the idea that what that white person over there does has nothing has to do with nothing me. nothing to do with. So me. like, and, and then in, in black culture and in other, um, you know, in, in, other cultures that have been othered or oppressed, there's, there's a real sense of collective mm-hmm. identity for some really practical reasons. And so that's why I made a joke about all white people are different because, that is an a truism that rarely needs to be said in our culture whereas to remind people that black people are not a monolith is something that often we don't see anyway sorry long digression but sometimes i say things and i'm i'm being sarcastic and then i'm like well if someone is really listening to try to learn <laughs> that would be really unhelpful um i think for me what i the question that i'm always asking, maybe is the, is, am I safe, right? Like, mm. am I, am, am I operating from a space of entitlement? Am I, is it okay to be honest in this space? Will I harm, um, you know, I mean, I think the truth is, you know, people talk about, Racism or white supremacy of its, its rain and we're all getting wet. And so I think, just to sort of, I have this awareness that, um, not only sort of the culture that I, um, in, in embody or have been shaped by, but also just like literally my my physical body, <laughs> is um, emblematic of of systems and historical truths and you know so I think you know the the thing about a Christian community that is really beautiful is um you know is shalom right is mutuality is interdependent flourishing and so I think you can't you you have to have real fluidity between times that you are serving and times that you are being served but when you're coming out of a culture that has such a hierarchical supremacist lens, then it feels really uncomfortable and unsafe to embody the wholeness of your humanity and to seek care um, appropriately from folks in ethnic groups that your ethnic group has historically, you know, oppressed and marginalized and taken advantage of, right? Like, so, so what is that, like, what does that look like? Um, and I, um, yeah, and I think the other thing that I, I think, I think this is not unique to me. I think this is endemic to our American culture, but I also think that people who, who study white supremacy as a culture would say this is a, a part of it, um, is, you know I exist in a lot of my formative communities and spaces where like it's it's one strike and you're out right and so um in in some like really important relationships you it is just n- belonging is at stake if you screw up and so you need to really make sure that you never screw up and if that means not telling the truth, and if that means sacrificing intimacy, um that's what you have to do. Because if you mess up and, and there's uncomfortable emotions that arise out of your mess up, um, some systems can't handle that. And so it will all get... F- Funneled through anger, and the way that you know, um, the 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 cost will be, I won't be in relationship with you.
1: So, if you take that and then add to it, uh, that same idea uh, in in relation to just religious people in general, mm-hmm. right? You, if you mess up, if you, um, I don't know, do something immoral in in some communities, like okay, you're out, you right. messed up. You put that with, um. Uh, navigating race and ethnicity, you can begin to see how challenging it is to to lead, be a part of, be authentically yourself in a multi-ethnic community. Mm
0: -hmm. And I mean, um, I think that what is so deeply ironic about that is how colonized the Christian faith has been because the whole core... (laughs) idea is God so loved the world that God took on human flesh and entered into the brokenness. And when sin in all of its systems manifested literally by killing God, Instead of choosing to sever relationship, instead of choosing to destroy, instead of choosing to respond in anger, Jesus on the cross, very God, chose to absorb the brokenness and the sin and the violence and then not return it, but release righteous, you know, blood righteousness that would redeem and cure and heal so that the relationship could be restored. And so we, as people of Christ, are supposed to understand that the glory of God is made manifest not in rejecting people who sin and not in labeling them as, well, that's who you are now. You are now the worst that you've ever done and the worst that you are, right? The the way of the glory of God is there is healing. There is redemption. There is transformation and it doesn't come through rejection. Now it comes through truth, right? It comes with cost, but God doesn't throw people away like garbage. God gives God's own glory, to heal the woundedness of the world. So how deeply ironic is it that we as Christian communities have been so formed by the culture of this world that we think the way to express righteousness or protect righteousness is to reject um, unrighteousness. And and our Christian communities are not a place often where it is safe to mess up like and I, and our christian communities aren't aren't supposed to be a place where, that condone sin but it is supposed to be a place where one who sins can sin and receive um, a path to restoration and repentance and repair and i think you know that's just deeply countercultural um and and i think sometimes there's the sense that I mean, well, no, literally in our world justice means punishment. Like that's what it means. Mm-hmm. If someone is convicted of a crime, our what we call when we say I want to get justice for whatever situation or for whatever person, justice means I need the other person to be punished. That's what our human secular culture calls justice. And and justice in the Lord's eyes, is shalom, is restoration, is mutual flourishing. And that's offensive in this world because we want to punish the guilty. Like that's as high as our moral imaginations go because we have not seen the cross.
1: Well, you said a moment ago that what Jesus did on the cross was absorb Mm -hmm. pain, absorb sin, absorb it. And that leads a lot of people to conclude well if jesus has absorbed everything then everyone else needs you just need to get over it right. right and um but we need to take that in a different direction to mean therefore as a follower of christ there are things that in order to be faithful to him to walk this way of jesus this way of the cross i need to absorb i can absorb with the help of the holy spirit um, for um, for black people and other ethnic minorities. I think it means if you're going to be a part of a multi-ethnic community, th- there are times, y- you just got to know there are going to be some things that are said, that are done, that will cause pain. Um, if you're white, you're, you're, you're going to have to deal with the guilt of ancestors. There, there is a pain to be absorbed that is... Um, healthy and holy, I mean, you can, you you don't want to take it too far. You don't want to say, okay, therefore, white people, you now need to see yourself as trash because of this guilt. Therefore, black people, now you just, you just need to take everything. Right. Right. Um, You you don't want to take it to that end, but to expect that we're going to be in community together and there not be any pain, that there not be any, um, that, that we don't experience the division that is all mm-hmm. around us and have to work through it, that we don't experience the enemy of our souls finding a way to bring disruption mm-hmm. in our relationships. Um, I mean, we're, we're just really that's naive. Make,
0: or, that's make-believe land, right? right. And, and there's no glorifying God in, in pretend. So, I mean, I think the reality is this is about can we really – love each other Mm -hmm. and so i think like to say absorb does not mean to condone what it does mean is like emotional labor right Mm -hmm. like so if you and that's what's just unfair and there's no anybody who tells you that the way of cross is fair the way of the cross is fair is lying to you right what is unfair is that absorbing the pain doesn't mean ignoring it doesn't mean pretending it's okay it does mean telling the truth about that in in certain ways that will be costly and will you know create conflict and will require emotional labor and i understand that nobody deserves that labor but we don't deserve what christ has done with us and so i think that's the idea of like look the incarnation is both a a one and done you know jesus was born in flesh in first century palestine and also an ongoing reality of the church as the body of Christ to say like the way of Christ is to want to pick up the cross, which means to, to desire the shalom restoration of the world and to accept that the way that happened in Christ is the way that still happens. And so to choose freely emotional labor for the sake of the, our own transformation and the transformation of our, our brothers and sisters. Like, that is the way of Christ. So I think, like, for a long time, it's been like, oh, well, on the cross, Jesus fixed this, and now it's done, and why get over it? No, on the cross, Jesus showed us the terribly offensive, stumbling block scandal of the way that God transformed and finished this enmity. And there is no other way. And we don't, I mean, I feel like if people are like, yeah, I'm not signing up for that. I'm like, well, I, I'm glad you see it. Like that tells me you see it. Yeah. Um, and it's very costly. It is obviously very costly. Like the death of God is what the healing of the nations, is what God was willing to pay. And I'm not saying anybody else should be willing to pay it. I'm just saying, that is what God was willing to pay. And, and for a, a life, a cruciform-shaped life, that's what we are signing up for. And don't, don't sign up for it if you don't believe in it.
1: Yeah, there's a, a place where the Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. And we often stop there. But he says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and... And the fellowship of his suffering.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just recognize that it's hard to talk about those things because they were blasphemed and weaponized by the enemy of our souls. And so for a long time, those verses have been used to condone and like faux sanctify oppression and injustice. And that's not I mean, that's just blasphemous. Um, what they were meant to do was show us how to throw off those power and principalities. Like everything is passing away. Everything is passing away in Christ. We're new creation. And that is terrifying. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, you really see it in a community in communities like ours because they're just not possible outside of the resurrection of Christ. And so a lot of times they just don't feel possible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think also what we're saying to people is that um, you got to lose the expectation that if you're going to be a part of a multi-ethnic Christian community, that you um, arrive at some place where difficult issues stop coming up. That once you declare, yes, we love one another, there's my brother so-and-so, my sister so-and-so, and and we have this relationship, do not be um, fooled by a thinking that says um, everything is is happy, 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 joy, joy now, And because when those difficult issues come up, they may be so – uh, disorienting to you that you think, oh well, this just isn't possible. Right, and this so- can't be Jesus. Right. Jesus
0: couldn't want me to feel like this. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I think we know that in healthy families, people get to be real. And so, in healthy families, people can be sad. In healthy families, people can be angry. In healthy families, people can be disappointed. In healthy families. There can be ebbs and flows in relationship, right? In healthy families, there's not um, emotional manipulation, right? So people can say, I need some space. People can say, I'm willing to be intimate with you in this way in this season and not in the next season, right? So I think we, I I mean, I think we we have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of ways that the culture has warped our understanding of what a healthy family looks like but I think broadly people would recognize that and so to recognize like churches have to be the same way like we have to be able to tell the truth about our actual lived experiences to one another and um, you know I mean it comes up over and over again like I've been reading Colossians a lot lately and it's just like Paul flat out says like stop lying to each other and I don't think that always means like Oh, I didn't eat your yogurt that was in the fridge. I think it means like No, I'm hurt. Like you said this and How I'm are hurt. you? Oh, I'm fine. Right, or Does like that
1: bother you No, I'm fine.
0: Right. Like like taking the risk and and we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount and you know Jesus says if you're making an offering At the altar and you realize you have something against your brother or your brother has something against you, like leave your offering and go to your brother. Like you got to fix that because Jesus is a reconciler. Like that's what you're worshiping. So if you're not interested in reconciliation, like I understand, (laughs) Um, but also Jesus is unapologetically. And so in a community that's really committed to Jesus, there's not going to be less conflict. There's going to be more because we're going to be actually honest with each other and that is not going to be harmful but it will be painful sometimes
1: yeah early on in um, our marriage whenever my spouse came to me and said something like we need to talk (laughs) immediately defensive immediately thoughts of oh my i must be a terrible husband i've done something wrong it's awful 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 Let's now practice avoidance. Mm -hmm. Uh, If avoidance doesn't work, well, I'll just get really irritated and angry. Anything then to have this conversation. And it took me a long time, an embarrassingly long time, to realize that if I would just lean into it, Mm -hmm. then on the other side – we would be better. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it. that's just true. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to dealing with multi-ethnic relationships. When something comes up, your fight or flight response is going to kick in. And you have to deactivate that and lean into it because on the other side – you will have a better relationship, a better friendship. You'll have more intimacy. You'll grow every, the Holy Spirit will use it to grow Mm -hmm. everyone in it. But it is, that's just hard to do.
0: Right. And I think like that, those kind of like, we need to talk conversations are, what they threaten is an illusion, right? Like whatever is happening is already happening. It's already real. It's just that one person doesn't know it. And so I think which yes. what what is going to be disrupted is the illusion but we're not seeking illusions we're seeking truth right we are seeking the kind of community that is so centered in the holy spirit that the world looks and says see how they love one another mm-hmm. and that
1: and if you do that long enough
0: you learn it's safe
1: yes that's exactly what i was going to say mm-hmm. then you start to see truly this is safe
0: mm-hmm. that and like God can handle our conflicts God there is a mechanism to handle sin like that <laughs> that is what the cross is for, but if we are still thinking that really, if people really knew us, they wouldn't love us, then we have to like protect ourselves at all costs. And From, we play a
1: role.
0: Right. And like if that if that and so I just um anyway, I just it's a um it's been a really intense couple of weeks and it has been painful and I, you know, know that it's hard because I'm having trouble sleeping at night. <laughs> and that's just sort of my indicator of um and and all of that is okay. Because this really is, um, I think, about repairing the ontological brokenness of the world. And so I expect it to be hard, and I know that there are places where we could go and live in illusions and feel comfortable, but but it wouldn't be real, and eventually that house built on sand would all crash down. And what we are doing now is the harder work of building on the rock. And that jars your teeth a lot of times. So, um, that's it. That's all I have to say. Except that I'm ironically preaching the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus saying, like... Consider the birds of the air. <laughs> Consider the lilies of the field. That's great. Do not worry about tomorrow. And I'm like, I mean, I get it. <laughs> and I agree with it. And in some seasons, I'm really like jiving with that. And in other seasons, when things are really hard and painful, to walk that out feels like malpractice. Mm. Right? I mean, it really feels just. Like in dere- dereliction of duty. <laughs> wow. So So, um, you know, either Jesus is going to be sufficient, either the Holy Spirit is going to show up and make a way and bear fruit, or we're in trouble.
1: <laughs> we're in trouble.
0: And... It's beyond my pay grade. <laughs>
1: Listen, that reminds me, on Sunday, we had um, an elder from the Grove preach, yes. Nicole. Yes, And um, Nicole um, preached a few verses from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter two, where God created everything and then God rested. And yeah. um, and so her sermon was entitled, Are You Ready for Rest? And um, so she preached this fantastic sermon um, about the need to trust God enough to actually rest. And so after she uh, preached this great word, um, I got up to um, pray for a member of the congregation. And as I turned to, I was sitting on the front row and I got up and I turned to the congregation, the face to congregation, and was um, introducing what we were about to do. A member of the church named Margaret Westmoreland was point, like literally her hand was up in the air pointing at me and she was mouthing the words, that sermon was for you. (laughs) (laughs) Like no joke. And listen, listen, she didn't do it just once. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm, and she's over and over again, that sermon was for you, that sermon was for you, that sermon was for you. And, um, you know, I couldn't disagree. And it just reminds me that, you know, as we, you know, walk through this difficult season, as we deal with things that surprise and disorient us, you know, this call to rest really is, it's, it's very radical, this, this, Mm -hmm. this. Um, truth that God supplies the power. God Mm -hmm. does the work um, that I I am not the end all be all. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at how much I try to be
0: a superhero. Yeah.
1: Holy spirit junior. Because my, I, I, I walk softly in this world. I, I, I have a soft touch and so I'm surprised when someone holds up a mirror and I see how what, – what a grip I can have on, on the church and the situation in such a way that suggests – I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to put this thing on my back and I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm just going to tough it out. Mm-hmm. I do that much more than I would like to admit, but it mm-hmm. is true. And as she was pointing at me going, "This sermon is for you." I was like, "You know what? You are exactly, mm-hmm. right."
0: I mean, I think it's just so interesting like the most subversive and radical thing we can do in the context of our communities is 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 unapologetically practice our humanity, right? Like the yoke is easy. The burden is light. We are limited. And those limitations aren't a curse. They're a gift. Like fundamentally, when we said yes to the Lord, what we said is not my will, but your will be done. What we said is, I see what you did on the cross. I trust that, that you are continuing to manifest the kingdom in the midst of my life right now our communal life right now like not just someday when I die although there is certainly a eternal post-death Element to the promise, but that you are the kingdom of God is in our midst, the kingdom of heaven is in our midst right now, and that is what you are doing. And I am just saying, Hey, whatever you're up to, I want to be a part of it. And so, maybe for a season, that looks like pastoring a church, and then maybe that beautiful thing withers and dies, and its season is over. And that does nothing to um, threaten the kingdom of heaven. If what we believe in is Christ, now if we believe that Christ is the Red Bull that gives us wings, then (laughs) these gifts that God has given us, if they don't last, you know, it's a house of cards and it all falls down. But but if what I'm saying is, look, I surrender all, that's not a song I'm singing. That is a life I'm trying to live and it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk because if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are most to be pitied, right? And and that if if it's not, you know, and I and I heard I mean I remember people saying this hearing this earlier and just like really not understanding it that like if your life does not not make sense unless Jesus is risen then you're not following the lord
1: that's really good
0: and i i used to not i used to really not understand that to say like well but the way of the lord is justice and the way of the lord is kindness and the way of the lord is you know, compassion and the way of the Lord is mercy. And like, honestly, even if Jesus isn't risen, those things make sense, right? And, but to say like, no, if you're really saying, I believe God that you have done something definitive on the cross. And so what I am doing now is betting the one life I appear to have that that is the case and so i am not going to sort of extract moral principles from the example of your life and apply them in my life in ways that seem good and profitable in my eyes but i'm really saying um you know i i am willing to fail i am willing to lose i am willing to look like a fool i am willing to be pathetic because i think the values and the systems and the institution of this world are ultimately illusions some of them are bad illusions and some of them are just like dim illusions of the full goodness and glory of god and and you know if you if that's what you're saying then you are at times in your life going to be visibly bearing fruit And at times in your life, you're going to look pathetic because Jesus certainly looked pathetic. And
1: at times in your life, you will have a crisis of doubt. Mm-hmm. am I a fool? And mm-hmm. do I have this right? Because I'm betting everything on
0: mm-hmm. this. And if you don't have those crisis of doubt occasionally. You may
1: not be risking as much as you think.
0: You, you might not, right? And I think like that is, again, like when I was 22, you're reading about the dark night of the soul and you're like, yeah, I just think it's too bad you didn't have Zoloft. Like, I just think if I didn't have indoor plumbing, I would have some dark nights of the soul too. But like when you're saying this is normative for all Christians, I'm like, Bet me like this is not gonna be me and you get a little further in and you're like oh oh, oh. <laughs> like um okay I I get it and um, anyway I guess like if all of this seems like angels dancing on the head of a pen um cool I'm glad for you <laughs> um but if this resonates I think it's just helpful to know like you're not doing it wrong. It just really is that hard. Mm -hmm. Like the way is narrow (laughs) and it is costly. And it does require selling everything you have and following. And, um, that it, if, if sometimes you feel like, am I a fool? Am I, you know, that that's a sign that you're really following Jesus. And like, I don't know, rejoice and be glad, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It is the way, the truth, and the life. And and I suppose, and then I really will stop talking. I think what's helpful in the other part of the passage that we're preaching this Sunday is Jesus is like, look, if your eye is good, if your seeing is good, your life, you're, you're going to be great. And if your treasure is right, you're going to be great. And if you have the right master, you're going to be great. And I think the reality is like that seeing the Christ and the seeing the cross and the message of the cross and valuing it and storing up treasure there and allowing Christ to be your master like that is i think the the way to legitimate like to not legit to real health and abundant life and the other ways look good but they actually lead to death and that's what Jesus is saying but if your eye is not good then the light that is in you is darkness and that's not going to work out for you in the long run although in the short run whatever and if you're storing up if you are storing up treasure on earth it does have some value it's just that ultimately it doesn't do what it said it would do you don't get from it the value that it said that it had and if your master is wealth or the institutions of these world it's 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 not that they won't, that won't ever look good. It's not that that won't ever look profitable. It's just that at the end of the day, these things will enslave you and Christ will free you. And that's just, you know, a thing we discover. And sometimes we discover it by being the prodigal son and being like, give me my inheritance. I am out. (laughs) And just recognizing like, oh, I really don't want to be here. Like this did not get me where I wanted to go. Like I want to go home because... I see now that actually that's where real life is. Like, I don't have any doubt of where real life is. I don't have any, Um, I don't want to turn back. I just want to acknowledge that it's hard. So.
1: Yeah, this Sunday I'm preaching um, why we pray in Jesus' name. And oh. just looking at, you know, this, for as long as I can remember, people, end their prayers with, in Jesus name. And why do we do that? And what does that mean? And of course it's, you know, it's not, it means I'm a good Christian. Yeah. and Not magic words, not just a nice neat way to, you know, Mm -hmm. end our prayers. But part of what that means is that we are praying in submission to the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with that. And asking, you know, how, how many of my prayers are really about um, me, <laughs> right? my comfort, my way, my way, my will, my will. Yes. Um,
0: right. I mean, when you say whatever you ask for in my name, that means there are things you can't ask for in the name of Jesus, right? Like there are things that the name of Jesus will not rest upon and so we're like oh i get to be an nba star as long as i ask and put in jesus name at the end and And, that's not what it means
1: and it it cuts both ways so on the one hand this is incredible comfort and encouragement Mm -hmm. because if if i am walking in the way of jesus then it means that in many ways i will pray in the way of jesus and he says i will hear you and i will answer you but it also cuts in the way that we're just describing that it may reveal that we are not praying in Jesus name. We're, we're really praying um, based on something else. Right. Um, yeah. For something else. Well,
0: in the way of Jesus and in the name of Jesus, you know, a lot of things are still on the table. Right. Like injustice and suffering and pain and rejection and alienation. Are on the table in the name of Jesus, as is, you know, uh, abundance and intimacy and connection right. and f- flourishing. Like, I'm just saying, like, everything that appears bad isn't ultimately powerful. And everything that appears good isn't ultimately good. And that's why we we look at everything through the lens of Jesus. And I think, you know, I I think the good news is, like we're, we're allowed to be growing. And so we, we have, you know, we're on the journey that we're on. We have the faith that the Lord has given us and we have the time that the Lord has given us. And, you know, um, we're, we're allowed to still be learning. Like we have all the time in the world. We don't have to arrive. We get to be on the way. So we should stop talking. He, he laughs, laughs, but he nods. Right. I just wanted everyone to know that. Um, well, um, to be meta about it, if you're still listening, we're glad you're still listening. Yes, and we are. And we, um, I just want to say, if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's church, Derida Presbyterian Church, you should go to their website, which someday I won't have to write down. But right now, still, it's deridachurch.faithlifesites.com. That's sites with an S. Um, and you should um, go on over to Derida Church on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and check it out. And you can also check out their YouTube channel and their podcast to find messages and worship. And if you would like to know more about what God is doing at God's Church, The Grove, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. That's a problem. <laughs>
1: Maybe you should write down your oh website as well. No problem. Wow.
0: Um, and you should join us for worship at 10 a.m. And um, we also have a podcast that you can you get on iTunes or I think it's everywhere. Everywhere, literally everywhere. Um, it's really not everywhere, but it's a lot of places and that's, um, the Grove Church podcast and we have a YouTube channel where you can check out, um, old messages and videos. Um, there are a lot of Grove Churches in the world, sadly. So we're in Charlotte and the logo is a tree. So if you see the green tree, you're in the right place. Anyway, thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week.